Kelly and Josh here. Greetings. Welcome to Indubitably. We hope you all had a fantastic week, maybe made better by a reduction in work after we inspired you with last week's episode on quiet quitting. (laughs) It's not how my week has gone so far. You didn't inspire yourself? No, I think it's pretty evident from how I approached that episode that while I understand and admire people who want to take it easy, I do not have that luxury. (laughs) (laughs) True. And we have uh, certainly on the show been working hard as we look to expand the ways that we can share ideas and connect with all of you, our listeners. For those of you that stick around to the end of our episodes, where we typically plug our social media, you'll know that we have both Twitter and Facebook accounts at IndubitablyPod. But some of you, naughty naughty, don't make it all the way to the end, so we figured we would throw that out at the beginning of today's show. This is especially relevant because we are considering doing a live online recording alongside an AMA, which is an Ask Me Anything If You Don't Speak Internet. I do not speak internet. Do I get to ask you anything also, or is it just for our listeners? I feel like you already asked me anything that comes to mind. Uh, I don't see why this would be any different. Well, but under this, are we obligated to answer? I mean, that's kind of the the principle of the AMA, to get real vulnerable. Ooh, I'm going to send questions to listeners to ask you. I don't know what you could possibly want to know <laughs> that I haven't already disclosed. We all know that I embarrass myself aptly on this podcast. <laughs> But we want to hear from the listeners, maybe not to ask me embarrassing questions, although it's your prerogative if you want to do that. But we want to know if you'd even be interested in this full stop. You can let us know on uh, Twitter and Facebook. We'll post some polls about this and kind of gauge how you, the listeners, feel about us doing a live episode. And this this would be a good chance to ask us questions or just even if you don't ask us embarrassing questions, let's be real. We'll probably embarrass ourselves anyway. As you just listen to the madness that is our typical pre-edited recordings. (laughs) They are a mess sometimes. Josh always has his work cut out for him. But it's a good chance to also hear us argue a little bit more with each other than you might hear on an episode. Get a little more uh, in the trenches with us. Mm -hmm. Which I actually believe is the plan for today's episode as well. I think so. We were talking about a motion that was set in a debate tournament that senior citizens should not be allowed to vote. Which, obviously, they should not be. When you say that, I can't help but think that some old guy pissed you off in the last week, like took your parking spot or something. I've been getting older and older. I practically feel like a senior citizen now. So this might be me voting against my best interests. I don't know. I don't know if senior citizens do quite as much outdoor extreme sports as you. <laughs> All these damn kids and their hippity hoppity music. Oh, get off my lawn. Oh, boy. Well, be- before this gets too crazy, remember to let us know if you would be interested in attending, quote unquote, attending the live online recording of the show, Facebook, Twitter, at Indubitably Pod. And uh, assuming we don't kill each other by the end of this episode, we will look to schedule that for everyone who is interested. Extra, extra, read all about it. Podcast tackles controversies that define your world. Listen to Indubitably now. Extra, extra, read all about it. Every time we do an episode like this, we are left with the incredibly unsatisfying feeling of not having an official declaration of victory. Uh, Of course, I have basically won all the debates we've had thus far. You know that's not true. We've had debates where we've had actual judges on, and I've fared pretty well in most of those too. But when it comes to a little more of an unstructured conversation where we oppose each other, yes, The one time we got feedback on it, you did win that one. Let's go. Well, (laughs) here's my point. No longer are we going to need to wonder, even if we don't bring on somebody that you have paid to give you the win. For our listeners that use Spotify, there is now a feature which you should see on this episode that allows for us to place Q&As and polls directly onto your app. 
We are very excited about this new way to interact with all of you and for you to tell us that Josh is losing all of these debates. (laughs) So uh, you don't have to do that, (laughs) but to let us know your thoughts on the episode or to take part in some of the polls that we'll be putting, it's never been easier as in the Spotify app, it will literally be on the screen when you listen to the episode, you'll be able to just push the button, easy peasy. Lots of engagement, everybody happy, building a community, indubitably. And so at the end of this today, make sure to take a second and vote on who you think wins our debate and whether or not seniors should be allowed to vote. Maybe what I could do is I could make the poll. Do you think that Josh has won today's debate or do you think that Kelly has lost? Or you can make the poll. Do you think that Kelly makes good arguments or... Do you think that Josh is a horrible person? <laughs> wow, that's a that's a lot deeper of a dig than what I proposed. But it it's interesting that you're going after this voting principle so much with our listeners when you're looking to take away the right to vote from senior citizens. So why don't you start off and give us some of your reasoning behind your position here? All right. To clarify, at the beginning of this, the topic that we're debating is senior citizens should not be allowed to vote. And if you can't tell already, I am very much in agreement with this principle. And at a very, very basic level, my argument would be something along these lines. We live in a very different world than just 20 years ago. And that is in terms of our economy, technology, And the various identities that now exist, assuming they didn't exist before, or I suppose identities that have been discovered and define a large part of our society. And these are the most substantial factors that make up an average person's world. And the laws that help to shape and regulate them are being controlled by the section of our population that understands them the least, if at all. Senior citizens are our least capable voters and yet are most active. And that's largely because they don't have anything else to do. And the power that they wield disincentivizes the younger generations from even trying to make a difference in the ballot box in the first place. In my mind, taking away the right to vote from seniors would have minimal impact on their lives and maximize the utility and quality of our democracy. The position I am taking is much more simple. Ageism is wrong. I'll prove it through my subsequent argumentation. But what I would like to hear from you, Josh, is how you actually envision this working. What would we actually have to implement in order to get your way on this topic? I think it's very simple. So just like we have a minimum age to vote of 18, we would establish a maximum age to vote of 65. And I think that in a lot of ways, it's a very similar concept. The Constitution grants the right to vote, but that is tempered by age. On a principle level, if age can be a mitigating factor on granting rights to citizens, typically a minimum age, I think that being too old is just as relevant as being too young. Are you likening seniors to children? They both wear diapers. Oh, I just knew you were going to come out with all the offensive ageist (laughs) arguments you could think of today. And I anticipated that fully. So we'll get into it. All right. Diapers aside, a a more serious analogy here where I think that it is applicable is we don't allow for minors to vote because we don't think that they understand the world well enough to make informed decisions. And like I already said, I think there are some very substantial factors that we ask people to vote on that define our society now that senior citizens as a population just do not understand well enough to make informed decisions. I see what you're saying when it comes to the fact that we don't let people below a certain age vote because of their lack of full participation in society. It is commonly accepted among most countries, most societies, that people who are too young do not have the the capabilities of fully engaging or being 
willing participants in the social contract. But there's, I don't think, any legal precedence for this sort of right being taken away. Nothing in our constitution, I think, about a maximum age for literally anything. So what would be a good legal basis for your reasoning here? Well, I have two responses to that. The first is that's a logical fallacy, which is an appeal to tradition. Just because we've had a stupid system in the past doesn't mean we should continue the stupid system. And I think throughout the rest of this discussion, I'll be showing you why the fact that we haven't implemented something like this already is a mistake. But two, I do think that there is a precedent in a way. When you turn 18, you're allowed to vote, but with that right comes also certain obligations. Namely, for men, you're forced to register for selective service. At the same time, though, when you turn 26, you can no longer register for selective service anymore. They're telling you that there is a certain age at which you are no longer able to participate in a system that generally is thought of as mandatory for our country or our democracy if we're talking about the United States to exist. And I think that democracy voting should operate under similar principles. At the point where you are undermining the system rather than benefiting it, you shouldn't be compelled or allowed to participate anymore. It's substantially different to look at a system where people are no longer forced to sign up to become potentially drafted, but the draft has not happened in like 40 something years versus preventing people wholesale from being able to participate in the democratic process. Like the the plausibility of those things affecting your lives day to day are dramatically different. Sure, it's unlikely that anybody is going to be drafted and therefore less impactful if they're not allowed to or not forced to register with selective service. But on the flip side of that, the harm that they can cause through their voting, I mean, look at the, look at the democratic system we have right now and look at the results. Much more likely it's something that they would be engaging in but also balanced out by the fact that it's much more likely that they will cause harm to society around them if they're allowed to continue doing it. I'm going to address the point that I think you're making about whether or not old people harm democracy. But first, I want to talk about the inherent value of the people we're talking about here. The fact that this type of proposition further marginalizes them further pushes them into disregard because they are deemed as no longer useful to society. I think that Josh thinks old people are largely like my parents. Mm -hmm. They throw around terms like estate planning and ask, what are we going to do with our properties? Properties, plural, and so on, that they eat prunes and they wear diapers. He even said that, but that's not the norm. Are you sure? That sounds pretty normal to me. I think you probably know like four old people and they just happen to be the ones that prove whatever stereotype you've created in your head. Eat prunes. I eat prunes. Am I, am I not, am I an old woman? I'm getting there. (laughs) I think I'm younger than you. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. So let's talk a little bit more about the actual ways in which old people are already disenfranchised in society. As fewer people can retire, at least on time, if at all, older Americans are finding it harder to get steady employment to make ends meet due to ageism and hiring. That's true. But I think in large part, the ageism that you're talking about comes from this same demographic controlling our democratic system and using their vote in a way that's completely out of touch with the reality of modern society. So I don't think that stopping them from voting is going to do anything to make those worse. I do think it will make it worse. Seniors are also finding it harder to make ends meet on Social Security alone. And that, as well as many other government social programs, are always at risk for cuts. The main reason that they don't get cuts is because the senior voting block is so powerful. If Josh gets his way, the senior vote will be irrelevant, and therefore their lives will be irrelevant in policy outcomes as well. You see, I don't think that that's true for a couple of reasons. One, seniors don't necessarily vote in their own best interests. So it is a proven fact that seniors vote short-term more than long-term for obvious reasons that I, I don't need to state explicitly. And so for issues like Social Security, 
they're more likely to vote against it versus younger people who know that they are going to in the future be relying on that system are more likely to ensure it exists. That's one factor. The other factor is, again, we don't let children vote, but we pass legislation that protects them and caters to their needs. So I don't think that there's going to be a link between disallowing seniors from voting and them being just abandoned by the system. I'm going to talk a bit about that later, but to address the point of children, the reason we give a damn about how they grow up in society is because they're going to still contribute to it. When you've written seniors off, you have no incentive to write their best interests into policy. I don't think that we vote on behalf of children because there are these shining beacons of the future and will be contributing to building civilization as we pass on. I think that we vote on their behalf because they're literally our children, the family ties. And for the same reason, the family ties that we have to parents and grandparents and seniors is the reason why we would make sure that they are still protected. Like we, we being the ones that are still young enough to vote, are the ones who take care of seniors already functionally. And so A, we understand their needs. B, we have a vested interest in ensuring those needs were met. C, I just don't believe that we're going to abandon those responsibilities in the ballot box. Well, how fitting that the next thing I'm going to be discussing in this topic is how seniors are infantilized. I called it before we sat down to record that you were going to do just that. I think you were going to liken seniors to children, and you did. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Kids can't vote, therefore doddering old people who eat applesauce can't either. Oh, I literally have a whole box of Costco applesauce next to me right now. I have applesauce too, but that's because I had a tooth removed last week because I'm an old person. (laughs) Can I change my answer now that I'm sounding more and more like a senior? Yeah, I think about it. Think about it. You're going to be a senior one day. And when I am, I shouldn't vote. This casts too wide of a net. Some seniors are unable to live independently and some experience mental decline, which calls into question their ability to vote. But two-thirds of all brain injuries as a whole are sustained by men. Does that mean men shouldn't be able to vote? I mean, dream world for me. Uh, They probably (laughs) are experiencing diminished mental capacity when that happens, but we wouldn't write off an entire gender. Would we write off an entire age group? Yes, and I I think we do. Uh, we, We write off the age group of 18 and under. Are you suggesting that because some 16 year olds, even some 14 year olds using your line of argument here are more capable of voting, are more informed on politicians, on legislation than 30 year olds are? So because there are some that are capable of doing it, we should allow all of them to do it. The thing with children, though, is that is the exception to the rule. But with seniors, they are actually much more capable of voting in their best interest and society's best interest. So the comparison doesn't stand. You're painting seniors as being this holistically incompetent age group when they're very functional, very participatory members of society. I think that you're conflating two things. When you're saying that they are functional and participatory, do they have the mental capacity to critically think? Yes, they do. But do they have inherent biases that prevent them from understanding the modern issues that I brought up briefly before and I'll be expanding on in a second? Yes, they do. So in a certain way, they're actually less capable of voting accurately than children are. And I do take particular issue with that. Ruby Bridges is 68 years old. She was the first Black student to desegregate a public school in Louisiana in 1960. She's two years younger than my dad. She remembers the civil rights movement. She was the civil rights movement in essence. Why do you want such a valuable living memory excluded from the democratic process? Is it because you are just a young white male? Or is it because you suck? Or is it both? Is that going to be our poll on the end episode on Spotify today? I think this is also a good time to point out to our listeners that those are not mutually exclusive options. I'm surprised that you, as somebody that teaches debate, are going to use such an obviously flawed example to try and forward your position. For every one example like that that you bring forward, I can bring up an example of the white person in the South who was the one segregating schools that she had to fight against, and them being her same age, the children that probably 
threw rocks at her, made fun of her in school, you're suggesting that they should be able to vote too. So cherry picking examples is not a persuasive way to convince me that your side of this debate is correct. But that's part of democracy is allowing all views to have a stake in it, even the ones that we find distasteful, because the alternative when we're casting out people that we disagree with is that we lose people like this from being able to have their say in the process. And that's too great a cost. What it sounds to me that you're saying there, though, is that you are more concerned with the principle of democracy maintaining its purity than you are with the outcome. And for the people whose lives are tangibly affected by the wrong people being voted into office or negligent policy being passed down, all of these things, all of these tangible impacts on people's lives, you're sacrificing in order to uphold some principle that doesn't really matter just to keep democracy pure, one person, one vote, everybody's opinion matters. There are shitty people in every voting demographic, in every age group or every race or every gender. I don't see why you can justify this being the target and somehow a 40-year-old is totally fine to vote, even if they stormed the Capitol. My point here is that a democratic system doesn't operate on the exceptions to the rules and the minorities that you can point to in whatever demographic it is that you want to complain about. Quite literally, democracy is rule of the majority. And if you look to a country, doesn't really matter what country it is, but if we're specifically talking about the United States, generations get more progressive as they get younger. And that's not to get to the accuracy of the voting, which I think is another huge issue. The understanding of the world around them to the ability that they are able to vote in a manner that accurately reflects the reality of the world currently. So that's why I think it's acceptable to pick out this one particular trait of age rather than looking at gender, for example, or race, for example. Okay, I look forward to proving you wrong even more. So do you not think that each subsequent generation is more progressive than the one before it? Even if that is true, I will be bringing up some recent changes in how these age groups participate in the democratic process that is starting to erode the commonly held belief of how they behave. Okay, well, let's let's get to some specifics here, because I think this is where my strongest material is. And again, keep in mind that I think that it's important, rather than having the philosophical purity of a system, the end goal of democracy is to improve people's lives. That's it. The, the reason that we have a democratic system is not because principally democracy is the best system, but because functionally democracy is the system that creates the best results. How do we measure that? By the quality of people's lives. So the three categories that I listed earlier where I think that senior citizens are incapable, certainly less capable, I would argue incapable of making accurate decisions would one, be the economy. The way our economy is structured now looks nothing like it was 40 years ago, where a senior citizen tells you, if you work 40 hours a week at a whatever job, you should be able to afford a house. If you can't afford a house, you're just not working hard enough. And that doesn't reflect the reality of the economic situation now for even, I'm not even talking about young people, 18, 20. Even people like you and I, millennials that are getting <coughs> close to 40, um, that's not the reality of the world that we live in. And so voting with a misconception of what a modern economy looks like results in laws being passed, interest rates being passed, elected officials being put in office that ensure that it's harder for us to operate within an economy in a way that is sustainable as compared to even 20, 30 years ago. I will grant that a lot of people and older generations don't understand the same sort of costs that come into play for a lot of people our age, student loans and housing costs included within that. I do believe that they are understanding the strain of consumer pricing on smaller ticket items like groceries because social security checks are not covering food costs right now. I think the answer to this, though, is not to exclude them from the democratic process, 
but take some time to do outreach, do a better job of educating them and letting them know more about what it actually costs to be a functional member of society. And the response you get to that is cut out the avocado toast. Well, I mean, some people probably could cut out avocado toast. <laughs> okay, let's take student loans as a, as a prime example here. If I'm suggesting that this particular demographic has an impact on the results of legislation, especially considering, remember, that senior citizens are the most active voting bloc in the country. Do you think that a referendum on debt forgiveness for predatory student loans would have a different outcome if you were to allow just seniors to vote on it versus if you were to allow no seniors to vote on it? It's hard to guess how that's going to play out when you're looking at one specific demographic. But I will remind you that one of the people pushing for student loan forgiveness right now is like the oldest president ever, Joe Biden. <laughs> okay. But you and I both know that if there is a politician that panders to whatever he thinks is popular and going to get him votes at that time, it's Biden. So I don't think that that's an accurate reflection. But we don't have to guess. I asked your opinion to trap you. So clever. I didn't commit to an answer, though. So like your trap kind of failed. I just walked <laughs> around it. Okay, but we can look to polling results. You know, and that's what's nice about this particular topic is we can look at trends of how much senior citizens vote and what they vote for. So when I'm suggesting that they are less progressive, this is actually backed up by election results. When I'm suggesting that senior citizens on a whole would be against debt forgiveness for something like student loans, this is backed up by exit polling, right? They are substantially less likely to support debt forgiveness versus anybody aged 34 and below is substantially more likely to support debt forgiveness. Why? A, it's more likely to affect them, which is something I'll talk about later. And B, they're more likely to understand it. What a loan looked like in the 1980s is vastly different than what a loan looked like in the early 2000s. There is a reason that these particular loans have been called predatory. A, you've been told that you had to go to college. B, college has been getting more and more expensive exponentially. If we start throwing numbers out here, it's hard to comprehend how much more expensive college is versus wages now than it used to be. And C, the interest rates and the manipulative way that interest rates were implemented into these loans are, this is why they're called, predatory. A senior citizen voting on this issue thinks that, well, if you borrowed money, you need to pay it back, period. Economy is simple. That's how economics work. That's how loans work. That's how the world works. So taking somebody from that mindset, no amount of outreach that you want to do is going to enlighten them as to the economic realities that the majority of people now face. And with them being the largest voting bloc and controlling the outcomes, it means that there are thousands of people across the country that are still subject to the crushing weight of their student loan debts when they shouldn't have to be. The answer to that is not to exclude a group from voting, but for maybe those groups that don't vote as much to actually participate in the process since it seems to be affecting them so much and they are not as active. Uh, we'll get to that later in the debate, too, where they don't really have a reason to participate when they know that their voice is going to be drowned out by old people. If they collectivize their action, they'll get somewhere. <laughs> so the second area where I think that this also applies would be technology. And I'm reminded of the congressional hearing where Google CEO at the time, Sundar Pakai, was asked by Representative Steve King, who just so happens to be 73 years old, to explain to him what would happen, what is Google's capacity to know when he takes his iPhone, stands up, and walks across the room, is Google able to track his movement? And Google CEO tried time and time again to explain that on an iPhone, Representative King, 73 years old, would have to opt into downloading Google onto the phone in order for Google to have any sort of information from it. And 
Steve King having no sense of how technology works kept beating him over the head with this question saying he was avoiding it saying he was being dishonest and the whole time just making himself look like an asshole and this is just one example i think a very accurate microcosm of how senior citizens engage with technology and it's not something that i think should be part of our government and it's not something that should be dictating legislation yes to this point, it has been kind of humiliating to see some of the less technologically capable members of Congress, and sometimes they're under the age of 65 because they don't have to do anything for themselves when they're wealthy. Yeah, sometimes they do a really bad job of trying to articulate a point or understanding the points of others. But I do think that the entire population is becoming more and more technologically adept as time goes on. And there will be a point in the future where people of all ages are going to have a better understanding of technology full stop. But now we have advancing technology that is most likely going to stay ahead of advancing humans. How is a 65-year-old going to make decisions about artificial intelligence, for example? How are they going to make decisions on Bitcoin to combine technology and the economy? Like, How can we pass legislation on these issues when they don't even understand at a basic level what it is that they're talking about. Well, I don't understand anything about Bitcoin and I vote. Well, you're practically 65. Again, not not even 40 <laughs> and younger than you. I'm young at heart. <laughs> okay. But that that proves my point is that you seem to be suggesting that we as a species are like catching up with our ability to understand technology. So people older and older will have a sense of what the latest technology is. But I think it's the opposite. I think that technology is going to be advancing at such a rapid rate that we will be requiring people to be younger and younger to keep up and understand what the latest advancements are. That one we can't really say who's going to be correct on until it gets to that point. But I do see a world in which even the old people are going to understand things that I refuse to bother learning. We can disagree about what demographic, what age is going to understand the latest technology in the future, but you can't really argue right now that people over the age of 65 are just incapable in mass of understanding things like Bitcoin, understanding artificial intelligence and the implications of it thereof, understanding things like self-driving cars and capable of passing legislation that's going to ensure that these things improve the world rather than make the world a worse place. Again, I believe the answer to some of these questions about the competencies and understanding of people in politics, the elected officials, who you're not even really addressing when you're talking about voting ages, but the the voters who choose them and the people who represent the voters is not to say old people are excluded, but for the young people who understand these things better to actually participate more in the process. Again, not to beat a dead horse or senior citizen, but I think that it still disincentivizes people to go to the voting booth when they know that they're going to be outnumbered by this population. And two, that population, again, like we said earlier, has just an inherent advantage. They are retired. They don't need to worry about work. They don't need to take time off in order to go to the polling place. They don't have the same responsibilities that a 35 or 40-year-old have. And so literally they're sitting at home bored. And the reason they vote in such high percentages is because they have nothing else to do. They are always, if we allow them, going to outnumber the population that is A, more affected by legislation, B, more likely to vote in an ethical manner, and C, as we're talking about now, more likely to vote in an informed manner as well. I have more to say that I think specifically addresses that when we get a little further into what I want to advocate for. Well, if you'd like, I can complain about identities first, and then we can get to what you would like to advocate for. Oh, are you one of those people who's like, my pronouns are fuck off or whatever? <laughs> what kind of people are those? Like Roseanne. My pronouns are kiss my and ass or whatever she says. Yeah. And uh, how old is Roseanne? Okay. That's not the point I was trying to make. 
Uh, but um, but that is the point. That's like the joke from all conservatives, and they make it across all ages. Okay. <laughs> uh, but conservatives as a class who are and vote older are less likely to be aware of or empathetic to a variety of identities that are emerging and becoming more and more accepted by society as a whole. I've got my mom using they, them pronouns for a person we both know. I think people can learn. Okay. Again, using a minority example, like you are quite obviously an advocate for these identities. You're quite obviously well-spoken, passionate, engaged about it. So the fact that it takes you beating your mom over the head with these concepts to get her to accept something like that is not something that we can apply to the overall population of the country. First of all, thank you for the compliments. Second of all, I didn't say I was mean about it when I talked to my mom. I might have been mean about it, but I didn't say I was mean about it. Yeah, well, I know you, and I can imagine how the conversations would go if she refused to (laughs) accept that stance. You would have been mean about it. Got me. (laughs) My point is, even if it's not out of malice, the ways in which people identify themselves now is changing. And it doesn't even have to be gender minorities. It doesn't even have to be what some people might consider more progressive identities. Just the fact that people care more about their identity now and see it as something that defines their life more now than it did 20 years ago, again, is going to have an impact on policies. So having a group that does not understand how identity interacts with somebody's life, electing people into office, which, as you said, some of the examples I'm giving are the elected officials and their stances, not necessarily the voting population, but there's a direct link there. So whether they're voting people into office themselves or they're voting directly on referendum, on legislation, either way, they just come from a world that doesn't comprehend the way in which people interact with their identity now. I don't think that's true. I know that there are probably some people who are staunchly anti-inclusivity, but that's across many different demographics, like many of the ills you've pointed out. But we do know that people who have compassion, and a lot of the people in this demographic have a lot of compassion, will try. They may struggle with it. They may have a hard time updating their language because it does require recoding your brain if you've only ever known he and she and suddenly need to start using they as a a singular pronoun. It takes time to get there. But a lot of people really do try. A lot of people are advocates. Like, I don't understand it. I have a hard time understanding it. But I still appreciate and accept that these people have a right to exist. Sure. And look, I know that I've sounded very generalizing. I've put forward a lot of stereotypes thus far in the episode for comedic value. And I also think some of them are true. But what's important here, again, if we're talking about democracy, the exceptions don't matter. The majority matters. And yes, there are senior citizens who understand Bitcoin better than I do. Yes, there are senior citizens who could explain artificial intelligence better than I do, who understand the details behind the predatory student loan system better than I do, who are invested in these identities and making a conscientious effort to understand and keep up and empathize. Yes, those people exist, but it is not the majority. And so when you have the majority of the largest voting bloc in a country that is less concerned with and less informed on issues that are defining more and more of the rest of our lives, you do not have the best results coming out of that system. And that's what I'm trying to fix. A lot of what I want to bring to the table, I believe, addresses a lot of the criticisms you have towards the aged. I believe that there is a value in the political process to having senior citizens involved. Since, as I mentioned before, senior voters have to fight to protect their governmental benefits and therefore protect their lives, Seniors are one of the most politically active demographics. In 2018, 64% of voters over the age of 65 voted, compared to people our age, which was only 44%. If our opinions are so much more valuable than older folks are, then maybe we should fucking act like it. Language, Kelly. 
just really frustrated with people our age bemoaning a system that they don't participate in. Again, I think that you have to look at why we don't participate in the system. At a certain point, it feels pointless. If you look at Congress and see a bunch of old white men, and don't even act like that doesn't irritate the shit out of you. If you look at our presidents and see a whole bunch of old white men with literally one exception, at a certain point, why are you going to participate in a system when you feel like your voice can't be heard? That aside, I want to talk a little bit more about what we lose when we exclude seniors. Seniors often, although not always, some of them still have to work because of cost of living increases. They do often have the time to become very well-read and research specific candidates and proposals, and they participate in other ways too. In the 2018 elections, the overwhelming majority of poll workers were over the age of 60. 31% were between the ages of 61 and 70, and 27% were 71 or older. Why on earth would they give their time to the voting process if they were excluded from it? How would elections even function if that many people withdrew from the process? Why don't I use your argument against you? Wouldn't it be nice if people of other demographics would step up and be more participatory and take those spots? Yeah. How many people can leave work on a Tuesday? That's exactly the point I was making earlier. Not enough people can take that time off of work to vote to overcome the higher number of seniors that are able to vote in an uninformed way. It is difficult sometimes to be able to vote in person. The answers are not exclude retirees from being able to vote because I can't take a long lunch to vote. The answer is probably to make federal elections also a federal holiday or to get some guaranteed paid time off from employers to take two hours to go to the poll. Point is, The older people in our society not only deserve the right to vote to keep themselves alive, they consistently put more into the democratic process than most other people altogether. If you're going to take away anyone's right to vote, you should take away mine because sometimes I am too tired to vote in local elections and I vote by mail with postage paid for by the state. I suck, but the seniors around us by and large do not. All right, I will change my proposal to ban seniors from voting to ban seniors and Kelly from voting. Then I'm going to go off the rails. (laughs) I wouldn't do that, Kelly. And here's why I wouldn't do it. Not only because I think that you are more aware on most of the issues, maybe technology aside, (laughs) but also because you have more life left to be affected by the policies and legislation and elected officials that we are putting into office right now. Bold of you to assume I'm living past 40. (laughs) I need you to live past 40 because I need a (laughs) co-host. And your cats need to be fed. That's true. And I think that principally, those affected the most by government should have the most say in government. And I think a system that stops allowing senior citizens to vote future proofs itself to ensure that we are setting up the best possible government for those people who are going to have to be living under it. I reject holistically the idea that seniors don't benefit greatly from the results of voting. They may be 65, but they could still live like another 30 or 35 years. Yeah, uh, some of them, maybe. I'm not trying to get too morbid here, but for every one of them that could live 30 more years, you have an 18-year-old who's going to be living for 60 more. Or you have somebody that's just born, not allowed to vote yet, but is going to have to deal with the ramifications of the elected officials and policies that we have right now. The most obvious example here would be climate change. Senior citizens historically vote short-term. The officials that we have in office right now are very obviously voting short-term when it comes to climate change. And it's an obvious reason because the vast majority of them aren't going to be around to deal with the repercussions of it. So as much as you're happy to disallow people 18 and under from voting, they're the ones that are going to be living in the world that is defined by the laws that are being passed right now. I would love to see a baby vote. I bet they'd be more likely to vote green than a senior citizen would. 
The point is, though, we are faced with so many different types of legislation from climate change to, for example, the banking industry to artificial intelligence. What jobs are we going to allow artificial intelligence to take on? How are corporations going to be allowed to implement artificial intelligence in ways that ensure there are still jobs for humans to do when some of these five or six-year-olds turn 18, like et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We have people defining the future who are not going to be around as part of it. And that just doesn't seem fair to me for not even you and I in this case. Like you and I are probably not going to be around to deal with the ramifications of climate change past a nominal level. I know that things have been a little bit warm in Oregon the last couple summers. That's probably as bad as it's going to get for us. But for 18-year-olds or five-year-olds, this could be catastrophic. Artificial intelligence, yeah, maybe we're going to use it to create our podcast scripts in the future, but it's not going to be taking jobs away from you or I. And so on issues like that, I am even questioning whether you or I should be allowed to have a say on these policies when we're not going to be affected by the impacts of it. That's exactly my question here. How much are you going to guarantee that we're exclusively forward-facing with these sorts of things? Because we're not old. I mean, we joke about it, but we're really not. And we already know that there are going to be things that happen in the future, which we could affect with our vote now, but we probably won't actually benefit or suffer from. So why should we vote at all? Furthermore, People vote all the time and then like get in a car accident the next day and they're never, ever going to feel the impacts of how they voted. But that doesn't mean we should preclude people who live like high risk lives from voting. Sure. But at a certain point, we recognize the principle that if people who are less likely to be impacted by policy should have less of a say in policy, we do have to draw a relatively arbitrary line somewhere. 18. Why is 18 the number? Who knows? Why 21 for drinking? Who knows? And so because we've defined senior citizens as 65, that's where it is. Are there some 63-year-olds who shouldn't vote? Are there some 40-year-olds who shouldn't vote? Are there some 70-year-olds that should? Sure. But unmasked, the principle that there should be a cutoff for when people are allowed to affect the future that they won't be living in, I think that's what's important. And that's what this policy upholds. The last thing that I want to say on Team Old Folks I think addresses a lot of what you're saying here, and that is how a policy like this would reverberate to other voting demographics, specifically the ones that you still think should be able to vote. Democracy relies on a plurality, right? We agree on that. Even if you don't want old people to vote, you still want a diverse voting population. You just don't want anyone who eats dinner at 4 p.m. to be a part of that population. But who else might you incidentally lose because of a policy like this? The messaging of you can't vote when you're old may cause premature disengagement in younger groups too. Now, there is a possibility that people my age may think, well, if I won't be able to protect my social security benefits when I'm my mom's age, maybe I should think about that when I vote right now. But people, especially younger people, are horribly thoughtless about future planning. It has been demonstrated in a lot of psychological research that people care more about meeting immediate needs and securing immediate comforts than they care about securing their own interests down the line, which isn't unique to your dumb proposal. That might be true for humans as a species, but as far as election results play out, senior citizens as a demographic are uniquely short-sighted in the way that they vote. And again, I think you can look to the climate change debate where some of the youngest people even people who can't vote because they're too young, 16, 17 years old, are starting to look out to the future because they're being forced to. We have forced them to be more mature than their age, forced them to be more focused on the future than they might have been otherwise because they see us, and especially seniors, setting their world up for failure ruining the world that they're going to be living in before they even get the chance to live in it. Let's talk about what this is going to be doing with the immediate next demographic. So what's unique about this exact proposal is what it would do to the slightly younger folks 
who are voting as well. People don't just casually engage in voting until they get their first honored citizen bus pass. They increase their political engagement as they age, as there are more interests they want to protect for themselves and the rest of their lives and also for their children and grandchildren in many cases. How would that trend look if your voice suddenly didn't matter when you hit a specific age? I believe that people would dip out of the voting process much earlier than just the age at which they were excluded. Nihilism and disillusionment would set in pretty early. Much like people our age are already throwing up their arms in defeat and surrendering to the idea that they will never retire, therefore not even bothering to put some savings away for the future, people our age and older will become very, nothing matters, lol, you do what you want with this country, I'm going to Thelma and Louise myself out of this process with my cats and whatever money and sanity I have left in my possession. Do you think I need to become more cynical? I am so, so, so cynical, (laughs) but I still vote most of the time. All I think you're doing right now is describing the plight of younger voters and the reasons why they're disillusioned. So even if I give you this argument, which I think is very much a slippery slope, the idea that if you can't vote at 65, you're not going to try and vote at 60. Even if I give you that, if we had to choose between that demographic being disillusioned and apathetic to the democratic system versus the younger generations, I would choose losing the seniors, losing older, even if it spreads to 60 from 65, if that means we're going to empower the 20 to 25 year olds to get engaged. I'm fine with it. 20 to 25 year olds can be dipshits too. And you know it. (laughs) At least they know how Bitcoin works. Oh, okay. That makes up for everything the voting issue of the century, Bitcoin. Now we're stretching. I don't even think you believe that that's true. I will say what I need to in defense of my side of the debate. Well, if you have to try that hard, probably safe to say that we're at the end of this debate. Yeah, I I think that that might be an accurate statement. Point Kelly. Fine. I'll give you a point here. But I do think if the debate's over, It might be interesting to talk for a quick second about why exactly we picked this particular topic that might not be the most reasonable. So are you admitting that you lost? I will never (laughs) admit that I lost. I'll admit that I've been handicapped by the topic. Excuses, excuses. That being said... At the end of the day, Josh and I both know that this is not a policy proposal that is actually going to happen, probably. People do the appeal for tradition all the time when it comes to law, and they're pretty used to the idea that kids don't get to vote, and they're pretty used to the idea that our grandparents get to vote, so it's probably going to stay that way. That being said, we thought it was valuable to engage in this discussion because even if it's not realistic... It brings forth a lot of really interesting ideas. (laughs) Okay, are we just breaking the fourth wall here? Yeah, I think it's interesting to talk about why we debate things, even if they don't seem to be things that might result in an actual policy outcome. Are you suggesting that I have not convinced you to take the vote away from senior citizens? Even if you were a little bit persuasive, I will never be on your side on this one. (laughs) Okay. So I think this is a fun topic and a lot of me does believe the things that I said in this debate, which is now over. Do I think that it would be a good idea to remove the right to vote away from senior citizens? No, probably not. But I do think it's a valuable conversation to have. A topic like this is pretty unreasonable. It's definitely not something I think will ever be a serious policy proposal, but it does bring forth a lot of interesting discussions on the merits of that topic itself, but also a lot of other related topics that have to do with things like exclusion, enfranchisement, the democratic process altogether. So as ridiculous as this topic is, I think some actual substantial conversations might have happened. Yeah, we're we're not trying to waste our listeners' time by proposing a debate that's completely unrealistic. What's neat about these types of debates is that they can be a vehicle to help us access interesting philosophical concepts like the ones that you're listing. And sometimes it can be hard to reach those 
concepts if we have to address them in a debate that has real world limitations to it. Also, sometimes those debates are just kind of boring. (laughs) Yeah, because they're so bogged down with practicalities. Yeah. And this one, we could just say they stopped voting at 65. I don't have to give you a mechanism. I don't have to give you the entire text of the bill I'm trying to pass. Let's just accept that this is the, the proposal and move forward with the actual meat of the issue or fake meat if you're a vegan. Hmm. For example, one of the things that was brought up in this debate that could be a real policy proposal would be whether or not you should be allowed to bring water bottles to people who are waiting in line to vote. That is a very realistic piece of legislation that might probably have to be voted on. And it's so boring. Another piece of legislation that could be voted on is putting forth some more permanent guarantees for things like Social Security and other benefits that seniors care about. Mm -hmm. But when we talk about these things, it is hard to talk about what is the meaning of democracy? Whose voice should matter the most? Who should have a say in constructing the future that we're going to live in? And so rather than us on this show having a debate about water bottles, we can have a debate about banning seniors from voting and get to talk about that stuff. What's your favorite micro topic that we got into with this debate? Well, I think as an example, having a larger discussion like this can lead to some of those smaller, maybe boring, but functional and important proposals. One thing that you brought up that I thought was interesting was in response to my idea that seniors have an advantage over the rest of us in voting because they don't have to work and the rest of us do the concept of having a federal holiday for voting, right? So as I complain about the limitations that people with jobs face that disallows them from having an impact on the system at the same degree as seniors do, we come to realistic policy proposals that could make a difference. I agree with that entirely. I also agree with some of the concerns you brought up. We're probably not going to be addressing them through this type of legislation, but it is wild how out of touch Congress is when it comes to technology. Anybody who's caught any clips of the recent TikTok hearings, there are some big concerns about whether TikTok accesses your home Wi-Fi network. Like, obviously it does if you're connected to Wi-Fi at home. Like, Mm. I know this and I am very bad at computers. It's an embarrassment on a global stage when we have these stupid questions and often racist questions come up from our elected officials. Mm -hmm. So having a debate where I have to admit, uh, I probably don't have any chance of winning and was probably defeated as I attempted to take a fundamental constitutional right away from an entire group of people. does hopefully, for our listeners, anybody engaging in it, have some value in terms of examining the ideas after the fact and pulling out concepts or potential policy proposals that would be more reasonable. Admit it, though. If we had just talked about these issues with a realistic policy proposal as the origin for them, it would be less enjoyable to listen to. Yeah, that's the other benefit of having something like this. It's just fun. Sometimes debate doesn't have to be completely realistic. It can just be entertaining and fun. We can do so much with words. <laughs> Until we start forgetting them. Oh, yeah, that happens. We we record kind of late in the day sometimes, and my brain malfunctions at least once per recording. <laughs> Kelly, are you sundowning? It's almost like we're getting old and should not be allowed to. Okay, fine. I won't restart the debate again. Thank you. You spared us all. That being said, I don't completely admit defeat. I still think I had some good points in there. And so for our users on Spotify, I am going to be putting up a poll to see how many of you think that I beat Kelly, even with the handicap of being on a completely unreasonable side. Do me a solid. Give me your sympathy votes. Give me the votes I actually earned through my superior argumentation. I don't need pity. Maybe this new polling feature on Spotify is not going to go so well for me. (laughs) Well, you get to write the poll so you can tweak it however you want to get the outcome you prefer. (laughs) Did Josh make a valiant effort in defending 
his side of the debate. Yes or no. There might be some lack of integrity to this voting system now that I think about it. <laughs> that being said, re realistically, we are pretty excited about having a new tool, a new way of engaging with all of you. So do feel free to make use of the Q&A feature where we'll ask you your thoughts on the topic and the polling feature where we'll ask you to vote who you think won or what side in future episodes where Kelly and I aren't necessarily debating each other, which side you found more persuasive. And don't forget also, speaking of engagement, we would like to put the live recording on our schedule. So let us know if that's something that you would be interested in attending or listening to as well. And you can do so on our social media accounts, Twitter and Facebook. We are at IndubitablyPod. To say goodbye to you, dear listener, we're going to leave you with a quote from Eddie Whitlock. There are two political truisms. Old people vote and Republicans eat their young. <laughs> True. Thank <laughs> you.